Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Players, exclusively available for Arsblog members on Patreon, a series of podcasts in which we look back at some of the greatest players in Arsenal's history. And today, I'm uh, delighted to be joined by the one and only Philippe Auclair. Philippe, hi there. Good afternoon to you. And we are going to be discussing probably my favourite Arsenal player of all time, a certain mm-hmm. Mr. Robert Pires, uh, a man who I'm sure you have great affection for too, as do all of our listeners. Uh, I have great affection for the player and I've got great affection uh, for the man as well. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't know whom I prefer, if it's the player or the man, which should tell you something about how good the man is. Absolutely. That's a really interesting thing that you said there, because part of my notes here is like Perez the player and then Perez the person. And we might come to Perez the person in a little bit, but Perez mm-hmm. the player joined Arsenal in the year summer of 2000 ostensibly as a replacement for for Mark Overmars. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Arsenal had gone two years without winning the title. They, they'd finished runner-up in the previous two seasons. Overmars and Petit, who had been instrumental in the first title that Arsene Wenger won the double, I think it's fair to say that they were no longer quite as influential or perhaps mm-hmm. interested um that's a debate perhaps <laughs> for another time but yes. <laughs> there was a concerted effort on arsenal's part that summer to address some of the failings because if the 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 99 uh, runner up position was quite close uh, in 2000 it wasn't quite as close there was a gap opening up so arsenal went out and spent club record fee on sylvan will toward that summer uh, lauren came in from real mallorca Edu from Brazil, uh, although his delay, of course, was uh, delayed, or his his arrival, I should say, was delayed because of the passport issues, and Robert Perez came from Marseille for for six million pounds. So there was a real investment uh, in the squad in that summer, and Perez given a big responsibility because, however, it went for Overmars, he was a big contributor to the way that the team played. Yes, and, and and he was a completely and is a completely different player to Mark Overmars in terms of his speed. Yeah. Even though, you know, with his strange duck feet, uh, <laughs> he still managed to uh, to go at a fair pace, at a fair leg. Um, did you know, by the way, that was the title of um, of his French autobiography? His duck feet, mes pieds canard. Oh, really? He yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, because I think when he arrived, people were very surprised. Tony Adams was one of those who said, "This guy doesn't look like a football player." That's absolutely, you know, it's just, the way he runs is just wrong. Yeah. I, I remember as well talking to Martin Keown in the, in the first season that Bobby arrived at Arsenal. And when he was started actually to uh, uh, to, to make him st- a place for himself and a name for himself, because as we will probably say and, and talk about, his, his beginnings in the game, in the English game, were, were quite difficult. But they, he said that, he realized that he was a super footballer, but again, he, he insisted on the very strange way that he ran with his feet, yes, exactly like Donald Duck, <laughs> uh, but moving at a fair, uh, you know, at an incredible pace. And so he was very different from Mark Overmars indeed. He didn't have quite the same, um, he didn't rely on his speed as much. He was not quite the same kind of goal scorer as well as Mark Overmars was, but what he, he, what he had, and which we came to discover after, again, a, a few months when I think we were all scratching our heads, wondering how a guy whom some in France had thought was a bit too fragile for mm. top-level football. And once he found his marks, then we realized we had a, a super player of a kind, of a very 
unusual kind. Mm. Um, I, what is Pires's position? Is he a Pires? I mean, is that is that a position called a Pires? I mean, is he a be. winger? Well, yeah, because people talk about the Makalele role. Well, what about the Pires role? Because um, yeah, you're right. Because he's not a traditional winger. He no. he's not really a number ten. Although that is something that you would imagine is, is or certainly was within his wheelhouse, because I think later in his career, he played a bit there for Villarreal, didn't he? Um, That's correct. You know, he couldn't run that fast. Exactly, yeah, where they, you know, they just gave him <laughs> the ball. So they had Riquelme, then they had Pires. You yeah. know, that, that was part of a tradition at yeah. Villarreal. <laughs> um, you know, and he's not a support striker, but clearly a, a man who scores a lot of goals. So when you try and think about players who are like Robert Pires, there are very few out there, and I think that's a great point, the Perez role. He, he is, I mean, he could play on both flanks as well, yeah. and I think perhaps it was a kind of inside forward, maybe, mm. I don't know, um, and or what Wenger called a non-axial playmaker, um, right. somebody who had, um, I remember actually Wenger describing Perez at the beginning, saying he does three things wonderfully well. Um, first of all, he passes the ball Oh, he does two things uh, fantastically well. He said he passes the ball to a teammate, and he always passes the ball forward. And in Wenger ball, I mean, this is about yeah. as good as you can get. And uh, with the quality as well, I mean, his right foot. I mean, we all have our favorite um, Robert Pires goals in which he showed, you know, this amazing capacity he had to bend the ball. And, and But far more than that, and his understanding of space and also how he brought the game to life and was really perhaps... I don't know if you would agree, in that wonderful 2001-2002 season where Arsenal played some of the best football uh, our club has ever played, um, he was genuinely the, the catalyst for the quality of the game. I mean, he was the player of the year, that year yeah, the footballer was. of the year that year. We're getting ahead and, of ourselves here a bit, though. You know, I, I want to just ask sorry. you. No, no, that's <laughs> fine. I, you know, I'm happy to relive these memories over and over. But I just wanted to ask you, because he'd started his career at Mets and then gone to Marseille. And at Mets, mm-hmm. I think his, his scoring record was, was pretty good. 45, 50 goals and 150-odd appearances. And Marseille, not quite as good. It was a difficult period maybe for Marseille as a club, I think. There, there was some issues there around that time. And I do remember mm-hmm. a brilliant goal he scored against Chelsea uh, in the Champions League, maybe the season before, from an extremely tight angle. He just whacked it past. It could have been De Hoy, who was in goal. Um, an amazing goal. But but when he came to Arsenal, what were you know your expectations, having been much more aware of him as a footballer than than I would have been? Um, you know, because of your your um, knowledge of Liga. He yeah. wasn't a player who had been on my radar, and I think there was an, a, at that time a very implicit trust in the signings that Arsene Wenger made from France. We just went, uh, okay, so. here comes yes. another one, here comes another one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, what, were you expecting him to be ultimately as successful as he was? I had my doubts, um, not about uh, his talent as a footballer, because that was obvious. Uh, to to everyone, but perhaps because I was wondering wondering if uh, mentally speaking it would be tough enough. Uh, he'd gone through a very very hard time at Marseille, and the reason why things didn't really quite click as they should have at the time is that he was going through some pretty complicated times, shall we say, off the field. And also, uh, the, the Marseille supporters are absolutely implacable, if that's an English word, and I believe it is. It is. Uh, and uh, they they didn't recognize in him a Marseille player. Um, they want a certain amount of, I don't know, arrogance about, uh, about their players. They want uh, a kind of, I'm here, I'm the boss, sort of, um, you know, breathing in big chest. I'm here, I'm a Marseille player. You know, we, we are, you know, and he's not like that at all. And he had all these off-the-field issues um, which, by the way, were purely of a personal basis, nothing to, you know, as would happen to anybody in any walk of life. And it really had an impact on his, on, 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 on his uh, performances with Marseille. It also had an impact on the relationship he had with the Marseille fan, who, again, are not very forgiving. And because of that, he found himself outside of the team. And you wondered, right, I mean, he's still a very young man at the time. Uh, is he going to be able to, to go above that? Could we have, perhaps, though he's a very different character, a player who will, by leaving France, uh, discover himself, like, say, Eric Cantona did, you know, leaving behind all the problems that he's been carrying on his back? 
uh, even though the primes that again PRS had were nothing to do with the kind of indiscipline that you know Cantona had. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering, but at the same time I thought, oh, this is not a lot of money for a player of that quality. I mean, Marseille had spent already five million quid uh, on him to get him from Metz. That shows you, yeah. you know, at the time, that was not an in- insignificant sum. And it, it showed you that how well thought of he, he was in France. And, um, but I was, I have to say, a bit dubious. And it's not this, his first month in an Arsenal shirt which made me you know, forget about these doubts. Yeah. Uh, it, I was wondering, well, you know, he's a lovely player, but is he really cut out for the Arsenal or for the uh, Premier League? Yeah. And I'm, the answer came quick enough. Sure did. Uh, you know, I think we have to mention as well that at the time when he joined Arsenal that summer, he had the choice between going to Arsenal or Real Madrid, uh, who were very <laughs> serious about courting him. And I did a, an event w- with Robert a couple of years ago where I asked him about this because he has a Spanish mother and has a, a real connection to that country as well. Uh, you know, what was the thing that made you choose Arsenal over Real Madrid? Like for me, of course, it's a no-brainer. But as a footballer, you know, Real Madrid, <laughs> one of the one of the biggest... I mean, I joined Real Madrid to hamper them, of course. Now, um, I, I, you know, it, it must have been a big decision for him. Um, but he said, you know, he spoke to Arsene Wenger and he spoke to Thierry Henry and Patrick yes. Vieira. And they all sold him this idea of what Arsenal was and what we kind of wanted to be at that time. It was still very early in Wenger's reign. Everyone was feeling good. We were challenging for the titles or certainly up there, you know, with Manchester United, this great rivalry was ongoing. And there was a sense that something was building and growing at Arsenal and he he made that decision. So, you know, we're, we're, I think, grateful for that, that the lure of Spain and the lure of what Wenger was doing was so strong at that time, because um, at the moment, I'm not sure that would be a decision that would go in our favour. But you talk about his first season. I think in some ways, and I don't know if you would agree, that there is a bit of a myth about, you know, when Mm. people say it takes players time to to settle into English football, which is true, of course. But they, they often cite Robert Perez as an example of somebody whose first season was was really poor. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, there's the famous story about uh, his first game away at Sunderland and Arsene Wenger left him on the bench and said, I'm just going to let you watch and see what English football is about. And yes, that's right, 20, yes. 20 minutes in, he's thinking, uh-oh. Oh, what the hell have I done here? Um, <laughs> and it I was think, Sunderland, for goodness sake. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> at, at that stage. But I think there was obviously an adaptation period where it took him a little bit of time to settle in. But he ended that season with eight goals and nine assists in all competitions. Yes. That's not a bad return for a player in his first season in English football. So I don't think that particular myth stacks up. He might have started slowly, but he really grew into English football pretty quickly. He did. And uh, in fact, um, what I mean, he played a lot as well this season, that season. 51 um, appearances. Well, that's a hell of, you know, that's a big number, um, and which obviously showed... Um, what kind of confidence he enjoyed from from Wenger. Yeah. And also, I, I, if I can come back on one thing you said um, about the influence that Patrick Vieira and Thierry Henry had on his signing for Arsenal rather than for Real Madrid. And there were a couple of other clubs. saying Juve was one other club uh, which was interested in him at the time. Um, I think Thierry's role was absolutely crucial and in, in more ways than one. Uh, first of all, he was another of those players who came to the Arsenal on the back of a difficult season, shall we say. Remember yeah. when Thierry arrived, you know, uh, after, you know, Juve, um, the whole shenanigans with his transfer from Monaco to Juve and what happened there and the fact he, he barely played and he played in some very strange positions, even he played wing back at one point. Mm. And, and so, so Thierry was able to tell Bobby, um, you know, you're going to find a manager who is going to play you in your proper position, a manager who understands you. If he signs you, it's because he really loves you. And they were quite close at the time, Thierry and Bobby. I don't think they're as close now as they, as they were then. And, and, and Henri was an absolutely crucial element in the integration of Bobby Pires. Uh, absolutely crucial. And I'm not just talking in terms of uh, the way that they, they dovetailed on the pitch and, and, and they built a relationship, which they already had in the French national team. But it's also because Thierry was genuinely the, um, the, the person that Bobby relied on the most at the time when, at the moment, now he speaks about six words of English. At the time, he, he oh, wasn't right. a negative. <laughs> He's better than uh, that. He's better than that these days. 
Well, I exaggerate, but let's put it that way. For somebody who's lived in London for that long, he's not the most fluent of speakers. I will put it that way. Okay. Uh, even though his wife's current wife, I've seen her constantly teasing him and kneeling him saying, Robert, you've got to, to work on your English. Robert, you've got to work on your English. And, but, but Thierry was there, uh, first of all, to welcome him and to welcome him in his home. Because Bobby stayed actually for a while with uh, with Thierry, okay, and he used he used to go to to Thierry's place and and have pasta and and things like that, and so Thierry was absolutely vital in in securing uh, 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 Robbie to start with, but then afterwards to give him m uh, the comfort that he needed in a country whose language he didn't speak uh, to 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 find himself a home uh, in London, and then he blossomed. But I agree with you. There's this whole thing about I don't know why. Uh, we tend to think that the beginnings of the players in a club are somehow more difficult than they actually were. It's like people say the same thing about Dennis Burkham. Dennis Burkham was not rubbish when he arrived at Arsenal. Far from it. Thierry Henry was not rubbish when he arrived at Arsenal. They took some time to find their marks okay, to find to become the players uh, they became afterwards and, and, and true Arsenal greats. But similarly... Uh, Bobby actually started to find his marks in that first season and not, not, not in the second one. And uh, particularly in terms of assisting goals. And if you look at, his, uh, at, at the season he had, um, the, the, further you, well, the further you went into that season, you realize, well, the numbers were getting better and better and better. And he was, I think he finished the season as a definite starter. So that's not too bad, no. shall we say, for an, you know, as an apprenticeship to a league that was so different from anything he'd, he'd known before. Absolutely. And I think, like some of the others, it took him a little while to get off the mark. But when you think about his first goal, um, which was against Lazio in the Champions League... Um, oh, that was pretty special, wasn't it? It was pretty special. And it was kind of like... The sort of goal that should have been his first goal for Arsenal. You know, it was a really <laughs> late equaliser uh, away from home against Lazio, who at that stage were, you know, a, a big team. If I remember, they had Nesta was playing for them, Pavel Nedved. Um, you know, they had some, some big, big players. And yeah. his goal was like a, a precursor to so many of the goals that came following that. It was like, it wasn't an ordinary goal. And I think... Actually, one of the, the beauties of Perez as a player was his ability to score ordinary, scrappy, scruffy goals. Because if a goalkeeper spilled a shot, who was the guy following in? It was Robert Bobby. Perez. If the mm -hmm. ball came back off the post, who was there? Robert Perez. You know, he had an amazing ability to be in the right place in the right time. Um, but that's really not what defines him, uh, even though I think it's a very underrated ability. But some of the goals that he scored were, were, were incredible. And I think that goal against Lazio was just a brilliant way to get started. Yeah. And, and the other thing as well is that people tend to forget how many of these goals were crucial. Mm. Is that there's also the knack of scoring the goal that makes all the difference or creating the goal that makes all the difference, which is something that Bobby always had in his game. And because of his personality, because of the fact he's not exactly what you would call, uh, he's not somebody you would want on your side, perhaps in a street brawl, perhaps not. Oh, perhaps yes, actually. He was, perhaps, a, yes. he was he's, I, he's a big guy, actually. He is. He's, he's six, six, foot, uh, six foot one, two and a half or something like that. Yeah. He's one meter 87. And he he's, 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 he's a big lad. He didn't mind getting involved. You know, once he grew into the team, he didn't mind getting involved. I mean, you remember no. that bit where he, you know, went to throw the ball back into the crowd at White Hart Lane. And, uh, you know, there was the, the, the incident with David O'Leary where he, he, he said, uh, I think it was something along the lines of, well, I said a few things to him. You know, the first few English words that you learn. Uh, <laughs> so he. <laughs> He, he, he definitely, look, he's not a bruiser. He's not a, uh, a Dennis Wise kind of character. But actually, speaking of Dennis Wise, isn't there an amazing picture? I must see if I can find it and put it up on the, on the site when this goes out, where Dennis Wise is um, sort of squaring up to, to Perez and Perez is just looking at him. And it's almost like he's about to backhand him away, like he's an insignificant little oik, which, of course, yeah. you know, Swat he was. Swat him like yeah. a, 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 an irksome gnat. Yes, exactly. A beautiful way to put it. Um, but, yeah, I, I've kind of forgotten what the point we were making was in general. But <laughs> physically... Well, the fact that, the, the fact that he... he he was also somebody um, who scored important goals or, or created important goals at yeah. important times. And when people thought again uh, of him as being perhaps a little bit, not frail, but perhaps not having the kind of inner strength, mental strength, whatever, don't forget, without this guy, Robert Pires, 
France wouldn't have scored the golden goal against Paraguay in mm -hmm. the World Cup. And France wouldn't have scored the golden goal against Italy in the final of Euro 2000. Yes. That's also the kind of player that he was. He was a player who had a real impact in very, very big games, who understood the, um, and we'll come to that, but the fact that he's got such an astonishing record against Tottenham yes. means that he also got, he got Arsenal very, very quickly. Mm. And that, you know, even though he might be the, the loveliest man you would possibly hope to meet and, 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 and a dream of a teammate in terms of his humility and so forth, there's also a streak in him which is much harder than people think. He also scored the winner in the FA Cup final in 2003, the only goal of, yeah, of that particular Southampton game. At, uh, at the Millennium Stadium, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about the 2001-2002 season. He's had a season in which he's done, I think, and we both agree, he's done well. He's settled in. Arsenal uh, still finished runners-up to Manchester United. But the 2001-2002 season, I think, is the one in which Wenger described Perez as the oil in our engine. Um, Correct, yes. 15 Premier League assists before he picked up that, that injury, which we'll talk about. But this was a guy at that period of time who was probably the best in the world in his position, the Perez yes. role. Who could play the Perez role better than Perez himself? And... Not quite a quirk of fate, but when you think back to to that period and you, you realize that Arsenal had Dennis Bergkamp, who was perhaps in the September of his career, but still a, an amazing player, Patrick Vieira at his prime, Thierry Henry absolutely coming into his prime, Robert Pires in his prime, players who any club in the world would have taken from us if they could. And they tried. They definitely tried. You know, for, for Arsenal, as much as we love it, we, we sort of, um, we have to accept that in the pantheon of, of great clubs in Europe, we're not quite at the, the highest, highest level. So for us mm -hmm. to have those four players in that team at that time with some of the supporting cast was, was nothing short of incredible. An, an amazing piece of team building over a number of years by, by Arsene Wenger. And and in the end, the team again. I come back to that. It's probably in terms of the quality of the of the game, the football they played. Perhaps my favorite Wenger team uh, of of his twenty good grief, twenty two year yeah. stay at the club. I found the most enchanting. Edu plays a great role in that. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I loved him like everybody else, uh, but especially Bobby Pires. And I think it is one of Wenger's greatest regrets that he didn't hear the alarm bells and they were ringing he heard them but he didn't listen to them and um you know i i, I was doing a little bit of revising pires before we talked together and i was convinced because i was at the game against newcastle um, at highbury yeah when he was injured uh in 27th minute and we immediately knew something very very wrong had happened and and you know what i'd completely forgotten it was in the cup <laughs> Oh. Because the only thing I remember of that game is Pires going off the ground and thinking, my goodness, not him, not now, please. He's, the, he's our best player. He's our best player. Yeah. And, and Wenger knew it, that he was the best player. And he was in the red at the time. And Wenger did something that, unfortunately, I think he did on other occasions with some very big players. He played him in the red. And what had to happen, happened. Mm. And, um, and then we lost Bobby. Um, we still had a fantastic season. Well, yeah, we we did. Obviously, we we did we did the double. Um, yeah, but but of course we lost a, a key player. I mean, I think that was the season as well where when we needed somebody to step up and fill the gap, Freddie Jumberg, uh did that admirably um, yes. in in that final part of the season. But until then, Perez had absolutely been. Uh, our best player, a real blow as well, because I, I can remember at the time when the injury happened, there was some talk that he might put it off and try and play in the World Cup, but ultimately it was deemed too serious and he missed uh, he missed the World Cup. Um, perhaps... He missed the meltdown. Yeah, maybe perhaps that wasn't the worst thing in the world for him to miss, even though it's, it's very hard to sell that to to a player. And I, it was interesting. I was too was doing a little bit of... Uh, research here and he talked about um the moment when it happened he jumping over dabby's ass he said my right knee twisted outwards i tried to pull back and then i heard a crack i believe the injury was due to mental tiredness mm. and that i was at fault because i was not focused enough 
which is interesting because you're you know? talking about him being in the red zone, which is understandable because he played a lot that season. But for the player, I think when you're playing as well as a player played or as well as Perez played that season, you don't feel tired. You don't feel fatigue until things start going badly. And when you're when you're performing every week and you're creating and you're scoring and you're 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 contributing in a really positive way, I don't think maybe you don't recognize the the physical signs yourself. Whereas if you're going through a fallow period or the team is struggling, then all of a sudden those legs get heavy. Yeah, and but one person should know that for you is the manager who's mm. got the stopwatch uh, in his hand, who's got all the stats at his disposal, can see how many sprints you're doing, can also see how you're recuperating, your breathing capacity, all these sort of things, and probably much, much more sophisticated things than that, because I'm talking probably about what Herbert Chapman was doing, not Arsene Wenger. Um, but he failed, and, and I think that the mental fatigue as well was another element. He played literally, I mean, how many games did he play that season? You've done your research, but he was, he was... Uh, he was a starter in almost every single game. Uh, it's it's only very rarely that he, he was subbed. It's only very rarely that he was on the bench to start with. Uh, and, and he played and played and played until that moment when, honestly, uh, well, things become um, yeah. became, just became too much and the body had to say, I'm sorry, you've got to stop now, my friend. Yeah. Um, and um, he stopped. And it was not detrimental uh, to Arsenal perhaps for those two titles, it certainly was detrimental for the season that came after that. Yeah. And it was also, you were talking about the French national team. I know that, you know, his last game for, in, for France was in 2004. But in fact, the moment when things started to go wrong um, were for him coming back from that injury and then having the great luck to fall on Raymond Domenech. Mm. You know, you yeah. wouldn't wish that on anybody. No, this is the guy who picks his team based on the the, the astrology charts and all that kind and, of stuff. And Bobby's yeah. a Scorpio, so yeah. Scorpios have no place in the French national team. As <laughs> is clear, absolutely clear. Of course, to absolutely of course. everybody. Yeah. Yes, um, he played forty four games that season until he got injured, and that was in March. So that will show you, you know, uh, how much he how much he played. Um, I think one of the most iconic Arsenal moments is the presentation of the Premier League trophy on the pitch at Ivory mm. in 2002 and Perez who had been crowned footballer of the year in England something he never thought um, he would be given but his performances even though he missed the final part of the season uh, surely merited that his teammates getting down on their knees and doing the we're not worthy bow when you look at the players who are honoring Robert Perez in that way, even mm. if it was a way to make him feel involved or to recognize his contribution to that season, it's still amazing to see David Seaman, Tony Adams, uh, you know, guys <laughs> like that who, who've been around the block, been there, done that, played with some great players, were absolutely great players themselves, but had no compunction and no hesitation in recognizing yeah. what what they had in in Robert Perez to bow, in, uh, to yeah. bow in front of greatness and and to bow in front as well of um, an absolute as I said a dream of a teammate and somebody who made the the dressing room a very happy place to be and 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 the training ground a very happy place to be because there has been there's no time when Bobby has been happier than when he has the ball at his feet and it can be anywhere it can be uh, playing with his children it can be playing with friends five aside in a park he's done it in London mm. uh, and it can be especially on the training ground and, and playing for Arsenal. Uh, I think also perhaps they were sensitive to the way that, uh, again, people say he, he bought into, I don't like this word actually, buying into, because there's no money involved here. Um, the, the way he, he made Arsenal a part of himself from the word go. Mm. Um, and and I, I think all of this combined to to create um, uh, something very special uh, around him. And as well, you know, the the poignancy of, I think, done this wonderful double, knowing exactly who you owe, to, owe this double to, um, and at the same time, this person is not here. And, mm. uh, well, yeah, as you say, an iconic image of, um, of very, very happy times indeed. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He came back, I think, if I remember, the following year in a Champions League game, possibly against Valencia. There's a perception... I think he came back before that. Did he? Maybe it was... He came back in the Champions League... Was it against Oxair? My apologies. My apologies. But that year, that I've was a year in which... I've just spared you so much trouble <laughs> on social networks here. Well... No, it was, it was against Oxair. Yeah. And <laughs> I think probably there's a perception that, you know, post-cruciate injury and af- uh, before cruciate injury, you're, you're looking at different players. And I think there was certainly a little bit of an impact on Perez. But that season again, 2002-2003, 17 goals. 15 in the Premier League, an FA Cup final winner. You know, it's not quite as if he picked up exactly where he left off, but it it did feel a bit like he was making up for lost time. Again, you know, that was a season in which Arsenal should have won the title also. Yes, indeed. And um, I think perhaps the importance of his his contribution to the team was because of of Thierry Henry's uh, form, which was quite stellar Mm. uh, that particular year it might be one of the reasons why we didn't quite appreciate um the the quality of his return as you say though the numbers coming back from a cruciate injury like this are are absolutely uh well just uh ridiculous basically yeah um and 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 uh i think there's um seem to remember there was a pretty good game against uh spurs uh in in that season Mm. Uh, he did love a, a goal against Spurs, didn't he? Yes, he did, didn't he? Mm. I, I think we should have the stats at our disposal. Do, well, I think we, he's, do we? I think he scored eight goals in his career okay. against Tottenham. It's a, it's a, a record he shares with uh, Emmanuel Adibayor also. But uh, we that won't. is astonishing to use the, those two words in the same sentence talking about a record against Spurs. That I know, I know it is. But he did. I mean, look, he, he got it and he must have been an absolute thorn in their side. They must have, you know, hated the side of him, which of course was a, was a wonderful thing. Um, mm. You know, the numbers continued, Philippe, in, in 2003-2004, the, the invincible season in which he played a, a huge part again. 19 goals and 12 assists in 51 appearances for the club that season. Yeah. I mean, this is, a, well, this is a, just an amazingly consistent, productive player. And one thing which is um, perhaps forgotten about this, um, the invincible season, as far as he's concerned, uh, up until then he'd been deployed almost exclusively on the left side mm. of the attack. And this is a season in which uh, Wenger actually used him in different positions. He, he played uh, as a right midfield, in right midfield. Uh, he played um, as an attacking midfielder. Uh, he played, I mean, in all sorts of positions, which might not necessarily has been, have been the case before that, and, and showed his versatility, versatility as much as anything else. And he was also superb in the Champions League. I mean, we, we've forgotten that perhaps because of that fateful game, which I personally will never forget and which is like branded in my soul uh, against the return leg against Chelsea. Yes. When actually he, he scored the equalizer, he scored the first goal mm. in the game against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, didn't he? He did. It was a header as and well, wasn't it? Was it a header? My Could goodness. Have been. Bobby heading the ball. That's, that's extraordinary. A few and of those. He, he actually was very good. He scored against Inter. Uh, he scored against uh, Celta. Uh, he scored against uh, Lokomotiv and so forth. He had, he had also a very good season in, in the Champions League. And you thought, well, maybe we've got our, our, our Bobby back. And again, his, his numbers were, were pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and at the, but at the same time, 
um, you felt, I mean, this is also when things start to change a little bit, I think, for him. Mm. This season, this season, the tail end of, uh, I wouldn't say he's getting on a bit, but I'm wondering if he actually coming back from the cruciate, he didn't run on, on mental energy as well an awful lot. And he still had, he had those two very good seasons on the back of that. Uh, but I, you, I wouldn't say that was the end of it because yeah. that would be going too far. Sure. But, but these were the last two seasons in which he was really uh, totally himself. Did, um, do you think, I mean, do you think that was something that was on Wenger's mind, something that he noticed? Because, you know, we talk about yeah. his contribution in the Invincible season. The following season, 2004, 2005, again, he's got 17 goals. You know, uh, maybe not as productive from an assist point of view as he, he was, but still 17 goals again in a season where uh, we didn't win the title. I think that was the first time Chelsea won it. They ran away with it that year, uh, I think. And we get to 2005, 2006, and the the... The contribution is slightly smaller, 11 goals, mm. five assists, but a key part of a team which ultimately went through to the Champions League final. You know, having lost Patrick Vieira, uh, Dennis Bergkamp was at the end of his career. We were yes. seeing young players come through like Cesc Fabregas, like uh, Matthew Flamini was was part of the team. You know, the the what's the word I'm looking for here? The sort of the average age of the team was getting younger. We had this makeshift back four uh, mm-hmm. that, that got us all the way, more or less, to, to the final. Um, yeah. Philippe Sanderos, Mathieu Flamini. Yeah, Flamini. <laughs> Emmanuel Ebuy and Colotore. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was an amazing uh, achievement even to do that. But what I, perhaps I should qualify what I was saying. Okay. Um, because what I'm saying is also, I wouldn't say tainted, but perhaps influenced by some of the things that Wenger was, I had been telling me at the time, that he felt that perhaps that uh, that Bobby was not quite the player he, he, he had been beforehand, and that he was, I think, starting to think beyond that, because he knew also that um, he had a big job on his hands with the decision to move to the Emirates had been taken. He knew what the financial constraints were going to be. He knew he, would have going to, he was going to have to build a team in a different way that is around the nucleus of young players who would develop a, a, a special kind of understanding, the idea they would stay together and they would do a kind of Ajax kind of thing. I don't know, something of the kind. And I'm wondering yeah. if that, that's why perhaps what I'm saying is a bit tainted by what Wenger was, I wouldn't say confiding, was, was telling me. Uh, and and that perhaps he became, he didn't quite have the same. Uh, he was not as pivotal as as he had been before. Um, uh, so do you do you think at that fateful moment in Paris when Arsene had to make a decision? Yeah. Uh, when Jens Lehmann was sent off in the Champions League final, he looked out yep. on that pitch and he thought, well, if I've got to get uh, get through this game with ten men. I've got to perhaps err on the side of those who are more physically able to do what we need to do against a team like Barcelona, who who weren't the Barcelona of today, but still a very, very good side with some amazing yep. players. And it was that that preyed on his mind and, and made him make that decision, which was a heartbreaking decision to have to make, I'm sure, for him and certainly for, for Perez. Um, as he said afterwards, it was at that moment where he realized well, his time as a player at Arsenal under Arsene Wenger was, was basically over. Absolutely. And, um, but he'd been talking about it beforehand, you know, because he could feel that things were slipping away from him a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, his, his playing time was, was a bit down. There were occasions on which, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was a sub. Um, and, you know, a few, a few games where you just saw him, he played, you know, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at his games right now and I'm, you know, I'm thinking, oh, oh, he was a sub there. Oh, he was a sub there. He, 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 he didn't quite have the same status any longer. If, if he still had the efficiency uh, at, at some points in the season. Yeah. And, and before, I remember sitting down with him before the final uh, against Barcelona, where he was still hesitating as to what was the, the, the future would hold for him. Because as you know, he had offers, I mean, coming all the time. Yeah. And it was the moment where he thought, well, maybe I should, you know, this Villarreal is, you know, is, is, the, the offer is there. And um, should I take it? Should I not take it? And 
the straw that broke the camel's back, to coin a phrase, was that decision. Yeah. I'm not absolutely convinced that, you know, it would have ended as it did had it not been for this decision. But on the other hand, this decision was quite logical in terms of the way that um, Wenger had seen um, the role of Bobby, Robbie Pires evolve, um, you know, uh, through through the um, through all these seasons, especially since uh, since his injury. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and and that, that that that's something that he he found it very difficult to live through that. And I think all of us found it a little bit difficult to accept. Well, I certainly did. I don't know about you. I mean, you you absolutely love the player mm. uh, as I did, but I felt that. It's not quite the right thing that was done by him. I know I, circumstances, okay, I understand that, but come yeah. on. No, look, I, I, you know, if you'd asked me uh, any day of the week to choose between Robert Perez and Alexander Hebb, uh, it's always going to be Robert Perez, regardless of whether I can see logic in the decision to keep perhaps a more physically able player on the pitch. And yeah. I, I think for Perez, it must have been an absolutely awful way to play your your final game for the club in your home country, the biggest domestic football game, or the biggest domestic, do you hear me? But the biggest club football game in the world. Uh, everybody's watching and you last, whatever it is, 18 minutes. 12, and even if it's... Minutes. 12 minutes, I think it was. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, my goodness. Is that 12? Oh, 17, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, it felt like the game had barely started. And, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. And as as a player however much you understand the game and however experienced you are and, and uh, how you might understand the context of what's happening, to be taken off, to be the one called ashore that early is not a nice feeling at any level of the game for any player. But in the Champions League final, in your home country, in what's potentially your final game for, for a club that you love and have done so much for and that you, I'm sure, feel like you can contribute to even if you're the guy who's not deemed physically the most able, you know, you could do 60 minutes, couldn't you? And they could bring somebody else on or, you know, you could do 70. They could bring somebody else on for the last 20 to, to add the legs that you don't necessarily have anymore. Uh, yeah, it's a, a really, really heartbreaking way to end your career at a club. And and a little bit um, as well, you, you wonder, it, it was a bit inflexible because it was all to do with this policy of not signing players who were over the age of 30. Do you remember this yes. nonsense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and and it had to do with that because um, PRS would probably, I mean, he, was, he, he wanted a two-year deal at the time with Arsenal. He wanted to stay. Mm. And the club basically wouldn't both say, no, no, it's, it's one year and that's that. And if it is a year and so forth. And in the end, he decided, well, so be it. You know, I've got an offer to play in a country I love. And with um, uh, he knew very well the guys from Villarreal, not just from having played against them in the semi-final, by yeah. the way. Um, but he, he felt really betrayed is perhaps too strong a word because he wouldn't use it himself. But he felt perhaps that his contribution to Arsenal hadn't been valued in the proper way and it, is, it still had an awful lot to offer. Mm. And that even if it was maybe in a different, slightly different role or perhaps not, but he felt he had slipped down the scale. And I think it, it slipped down the scale for a while, not just 2005, 2006. I think he, perhaps it was the attention that, that Wenger was giving him in training. Maybe it was the way he was talking to him or not talking to him. I don't know. Mm. Maybe he could see as well that Wenger was pursuing a policy uh, with this new Emirates-bound uh, Arsenal, which was different from the Arsenal he discovered in 2000, and that perhaps there was no more room for him. Uh, but on the other hand, when you think about, I mean, six seasons is, is a long time, but it's not, you know, like, well, um, Pat or, um, or like Thierry or Dennis or anything like that. Yeah. And it seems to me that the, the, the trace is left in the club uh, in a way, the amount of time he spent there, if it, even if it was significant time, is almost irrelevant. There was something else about him that um, made also Arsenal one of the most lovable, genuinely lovable teams uh, on, on the planet. Yeah. Because whatever people say about his supposed dive against Portsmouth, <laughs> which is the thing that they, which is honestly ridiculous. But yes, there you go. I agree with you. I, you know, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. Even you know the the, the 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 funny penalty routine with Thierry Henry that <laughs> certainly has a place in our folklore now. Uh, all these sort of things, but the place is 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 
he's made for himself in the history of the club, uh, especially considering the, the, his last season there, which was a truncated season, which ended very badly. Um, it, the, the place is, is, is far greater than perhaps the, the length of his stay or even his stats would, would warrant. Sure. There is something else about him, uh, something that we, I think we immediately fell in love with when we, we saw this guy wearing our colors and we thought he's the right person. And there's nobody else like Robert Pires. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, you know, the, 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 the very first precursor to Arsblog was uh, a website that I, I set up and it was called The Church of Bob. And it was all about Robert Pires. And it, it was Robert Pires as this kind of cult leader that everybody loved him. And I wish I could find it because it was, I think it was quite funny. But thankfully, I sort of expanded the horizons a little bit and it became, it became Arsblog. But that was the first one that I set up. Um, and that was before Arsblog. So that tells you about the, the connection that I had. And I think, you know, when you look at, okay, the way that it ended was not particularly great and it, it no. took a bit of time for for him to get over that and it took, I think, perhaps a little bit of time for his relationship with Arsene Wenger to to mend. Um, it did over time and then, of course, he became a fixture around the club on the training ground, somebody who, who was there to keep fit but also somebody who was able to pass on experience and to mentor some of the young players and I do remember very distinctly when we played Villarreal in the, the Champions League, not just the home game, but in the away game, which I was at in Spain, at the end of it, he came over and applauded the away fans and we all applauded him and sang his song. And it was lovely. It was a really, really nice connection between a player and the fans because too often players leave and immediately there's sort of bridges burned and people go, well, he left. So, you know, who cares about him? He left and people still cared about him and they still care about him. As is, and he still cares about Arsenal. Yes. Uh, he, he was telling me um, not that long ago, actually, that um, uh, some of the first words that uh, his son Theo uh, spoke, uh, one of the first words was Arsenal. Oh. He was asked, um, somebody asked Theo his name and he, re he replied, Theo Arsenal. Oh, exactly. Come on. <laughs> Who hasn't melted right exactly. now? Exactly. Who's got the heart of the heart of stone, the heart of stone out there. Let me just, uh, there's a couple of, uh, I'm just going to ask you maybe about a, a favorite performance and a favorite goal, but we did talk at the start about how there's more to Robert Perez than Robert Perez, the, the player, there's Robert Perez, the person. And, you know, you can see an amazing footballer and maybe you don't connect with them because, because of their personality. Maybe they're so driven, they, they're just like a, a footballing robot. And however good they are as a player, you just can't get into them as a person, if you like. And similarly, there might be players who are, you know, have flaws all over the place, but because of who they are, you like them. And I think Perez was a person that almost everybody connected with. Uh, over his time at the club. And I, I, again, going back to some of the research that we did, this was a diary piece that he wrote in 2002 after he'd um, sustained the injury and he was uh, mm. in his recovery time, his recuperation. He hadn't gone to the World Cup and he talks about, you know, the World Cup and the injury and the doctors and the training and, you know, being sent back to France to do all the, the rehab, but also about his beliefs as a citizen of France. And this was at the time when uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen was a candidate, uh, perhaps for the French presidency. You will um, be able yes. to tell me that. Um, mm -hmm. And he said, I, I, I speak up when I feel the urge to defend the values I believe in. Last May, I openly said I was fighting the National Front, whose candidate qualified for the second round of the presidential election. I should have read on before I asked you that. Um, <laughs> I, I publicly gave my support to the moderate conservative candidate, stating that it was inconceivable to have a president coming from the ranks of the extreme right. We French are lucky enough to live in a beautiful country where the word fraternité is part of the official motto. All this would have disappeared had the extreme right won. And he talks about how footballers, they do have a platform in which they can influence people and where they can be seen to say the right things and to defend the values that we all perceive to be the right ones. So no to racism, no to sexism, no to homophobia, equality, you know, liberty, all of these things that you would like to think 
people take as uh, or, or what should be the foundations of a, uh, a good and functioning society. He was willing to speak up about those things in 2002. And we hear all the time, our oh, footballers, they shouldn't say this, they shouldn't say that, they should stay in their lane. You know, who wants to hear from them? You know, you know your privilege, you do this, you do that. You know, I think that's a, a big part of what I really like about Robert Perez is his, his personality and his desire to speak up for what's right and wrong. Well, what, I, what do I have to add to that, honestly? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, don't know because I think that you, you, you spelled it absolutely wonderfully. And, um, but it stems from um, his personality, stems from his, his background, his upbringing. Um, he's the most French of French in many ways because uh, he's a son of the immigration as well. Mm. And in, in that, he's very much, um, uh, you know, uh, his family, his name is Portuguese in origin. As you said, his mom was, was Spanish. Uh, is Spanish, uh, but he grew up in the Lorraine, and he's very, uh, very proud of his um, Lorraine ancestry and so forth. And at the same time, he was also, he has, um, uh, he had a very special link uh, with players within the French team who came from also an immigrant background, and uh, whether whether immigrant or uh, overseas background, I should say, okay. which is two different things. But he, he always had a, a capacity. Well. A natural born capacity to enthuse and empathize with people, which is still very much in evidence when you see him today. Uh, he does an awful lot of things for which people don't talk about for a number of charities um, all across the planet, honestly. is uh, the most, um, uh, he makes himself available. He finds it very difficult to say no to people, which is one of the reasons why sometimes he, he runs into, into problems. Um, and he seems inca- it's not that he's incapable of seeing bad in people. He can. He can definitely smell a rat and a bullshitter from a long way away. But he's made a conscious decision that given how privileged he's been to live this life as, as a professional footballer and to, to enjoy his life as much, his first reaction towards others should be trust and confidence. Now, there are not many people who do this. No. Not many people. In fact, is one in a million. And... You know the, how um, Titi nicknamed him when he arrived? Uh, he, he called him L'Ange, the angel, the and, angel. <laughs> uh, which says an awful lot about, about the guy. And I don't think you will ever hear anybody say anything wrong about Robert Pires. And if you hear somebody saying wrong about Robert Pires, that person probably has got a big, big problem. <laughs> yeah. um, They're the wrong and, ones. And to do that, but he's not, but he's not all twee and, and saccharine or anything like that. He's sure. also a guy who comes from where he comes and he has, he can speak frankly. He can sometimes be, uh, uh, he can get unnerved like everybody else. But it, it's a very rare case of somebody who had the sensitivity and the intelligence to realize from very early on that he'd been given this incredible gift and he could use it to live the kind of life that people dream about and who is constantly reminding himself, this is how lucky I am. This is how lucky I am. Mm. And which is one of the reasons why he wanted to carry on playing for so long. And you found him, you know, playing for Goa in the Indian Premier League or whatever it was. Just, this was not because of the money. It was simply because he's fitter than most 20-year-olds. It's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and all of this, these are things that, you know, I believe that when you watch a player on the pitch, you understand his personality perhaps better than you send an afternoon, an evening, or perhaps a fortnight on holiday with them, because this is where the true person shines. And you could feel that on, on the pitch with Robert Pires. You could feel the talent. You could feel the pleasure, the sense of joy. Uh, the 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 togetherness that that he appreciated in in football his rapport with the fans which you've talked about even if his English was not the best mm. and all of this combined to to create a very very special player indeed and uh, again one I think he was uh, voted in the top ten players all time players of Arsenal football club uh, I'm sure if you looked at the stats and perhaps the uh, objective role that players great players from the past have played in I don't know winning another double winning trophies and so on perhaps some others you would have thought would have been above him but no there i think instinctively as fans uh we understand the nature of, of of the link the depth of the link that we have with a particular player and he's one of those very rare for whom you know there is this immense affection yeah born out of his performances but also the way he conducted himself and the way that in, in which he became truly an arsenal man yeah. even though he was born in mess even though he came from marseille no, no problem. Within a few months, within a couple of, perhaps a couple of seasons, he had become an Arsenal man. 
that is priceless. Absolutely. And uh, I just looked that up. He is number six as voted for by Arsenal fans uh, on the Not Arsenal bad. website. Not bad. <laughs> the, 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 the five players ahead of him, I don't know if you might have heard of these guys. Uh, Patrick Vieira, Ian Wright, Tony Adams, Dennis Bergkamp, and Thierry Henry, whoever he is. So, you know, uh, I, I think that really does. That really is a testament to, to how much... Uh, the Arsenal fans loved him, loved what he did and loved that he got it. You know, there are some players who you just know get it um, when they come to a mm. club and he was one of those. A couple of very quick ones just to finish off. Have you got a favourite goal? Uh, I was going to say, I mean, I'm not going to be very original, but I think the one against Villa was a little bit special. Yes. You know, that shot from outside at an angle of about 45 degrees from the angle of the box. And, and also, I think his celebration was absolutely wonderful. It's like, yeah, yeah I yeah. can do that too, guys. That's just wonderful. It was, but that's not my favorite Robert Pires moment. Okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you my favorite Robert Pires goal, and then you Which can tell me that? your favorite moment. It's, it's the one against Southampton in that game where he scored a hat-trick and Jermaine Pennant scored a hat-trick, and I think we just lost the title in the game before, and it was the final game of the, the 2002-2003 season, and the ball mm. just broke, and he, he just took it first time and lobbed it over the goalkeeper from just inside... Uh, the opposition half. Uh, I know he scored more important goals than that, perhaps uh, better goals technically than that. But I just from it just summed up everything about him as a player. It was just like, oh, there it is. Look what I can do. Woo! And uh, just again, amazing. And it was the what's what's the word? I'm going to mangle a French word here, Philippe, and you can tell me the insouciance. Is that insouciance? Insouciance. Insouciance. Okay, that which is a kind of I don't know carefreeness yes exactly it was just like mm -hmm. oh, look i can do this and uh, it was you know amazing tell me your favorite robert perez moment then uh, the tackle on patrick Vieira. <laughs> <laughs> we draw we draw nil nil at stadio de la LP. yes ugliest stadium in the planet yeah and he tackles his mate and titi gets the ball fits fabregas one nil we're on our way. It was like a changing of the guard almost, wasn't it? The fact that it was Perez, probably the only slight tackle he ever made in his, uh, in his career at Arsenal. I think he did <laughs> another one. Uh, I'm, I think he did another one on Claude Makelele against Chelsea in a game we won against Chelsea when we won in the league uh, in 2003, 2004. Okay. I seem to remember and he, 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 he enables Patrick to go one-on-one -on -one with the keeper with Kudicini at the time. Right. And it was a Robert Pires tackle okay. on Makelele. You tackle Makelele, you tackle Vieira. Come on, it doesn't get better than well, that. Well, that's it. You just pick your moments. There's no point tackling these like halfwits. If you're going to tackle someone, tackle someone good. Save it all <laughs> up for those ones. I'll tell you my favorite moment just before we go because we're going to have to wrap this up. The game against Liverpool away from home, I think... Paul Durkin, the referee, had sent off Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. We were down to 10 men. And Perez picked up the ball, maybe just outside the area, and he did that little duck shuffle that he does. He pushed the ball <laughs> one way, pushed it immediately, immediately back the other way. Steven Gerrard had no idea what was happening. Perez crossed to the near post. Who's arriving? Freddie Jumberg. Bang, goal. Arsenal win that game. I just love that moment because the skill is so simple. He kind of repeated it against Tottenham in maybe that get that crazy game, the 5-4 game. Oh, the 5-4 game, yeah. And again, it was that little quick shuffle between the feet and he scored the goal. Um, just fantastic. Um, well, look, Philippe, it has been a pleasure taking this trip down memory lane uh, and talking about Robert Perez with you. Thank you very much indeed for being here. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it too. It's nice, isn't it? It's lovely to talk about things that you love. Is there anything better? No, I don't think so. We do, we do too much talking about stuff that we don't love these days. So it's nice to get the opportunity to, uh, to have a, a, lovely, a lovely conversation about something amazing. Philippe, thank you very much indeed. Uh, to you. everybody, I uh, hope you've enjoyed this show. We'll be back with another episode of The Players here on Arsblog Patreon. Thank you as ever for your support. We really do appreciate it. And until the next one, cheers. Bye-bye.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.